Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, from EPAM Continuum. We have a dedicated travel and hospitality team here at EPAM Continuum, and while I wish that meant getting sent to exotic tropical locations to do intensive research, especially during Boston winters, it does not usually involve getting on an airplane. But it does mean we're always keeping an eye out for emerging trends in the travel space and the implications these trends have on the kind of experiences that people are looking for. I've been especially intrigued to see airports beefing up the wellness offerings with gyms and yoga rooms and things like that for people to make good use of their layovers. I, for one, would totally pick an airport with a gym in it if I had the choice. Although, to be fair, I don't think I've ever worked out in a hotel fitness center in 20 years of business travel, so this might be more of an aspirational goal. You know who has an even better view of global travel patterns? The travel editor for the New York Times, Amy Vership. She has been with the Times since 2003 and worked across a number of their sections, including escapes, culture, and books. Back at the end of February, Amy discussed the latest travel trends she's been observing with EPAM Continuum's Dustin Boutet, Director, Innovation Consulting, and Vertical Lead, Travel and Hospitality. Let's fly on over to what they had to say about whether travelers care more about wellness or climate change, whose loyalty points program is differentiated from the rest, and whether companies like Google and Airbnb can ever successfully take on the mantle of the all-in-one travel agent. The first thing that I'd love to, to hear your perspective on is, um, you know, something that, that's always very well read is the, the 52 places to go in, in 2020. And you've gotten a, a lot of uh, online responses to that. And I'd, I'd just love to hear about what are some of the challenges and, and benefits of being a travel editor in 2020? Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of online responses and the online response this year, uh, I don't know how many of the comments you looked through, but we got a lot of comments. I would say they were predominantly about the issue of climate change um, and kind of taking us to task and saying, you know, how could you advocate that people go to all these places when the world is burning. Um, and that's definitely something that we think about. We're obviously not advocating that everybody go to all 52 of these places and we don't have a 52 places traveler this year. Um, but that this is really the first year, you know, in years past, I've only been doing this job for two years. So, but when we did it last year and we opened the comments up, they much more ran to the, oh my God, that's so beautiful. I can't wait to go there. You've added to my bucket list. Um, so I think that in the last year, there has been an incredible um, sea change in at least some people's attitudes towards travel. Now, you know, in the comments you're hearing from a very particular, you know, group of people, that's not the whole world. Um, but I do think that that's been a major, major change in the um the travel industry and in thinking about travel in the last year. And it's something that, you know, has really something we're thinking about a lot. So I think one of the differences about being a travel editor now, and I don't know if this quite answers your question, but um, is that there's this, this incredible feedback loop that didn't exist before um, so that you really can take the pulse of what people are thinking in real time. Um, I know that you know when we publish an article uh, online, we publish everything digitally first, and then it shows up in print after that. And um, you know, 
really the minute we publish something online, we start hearing from people, good or bad. Um, and to get that kind of feedback, you know, there was a time when we published a travel article, you know, people thought we didn't capture a city correctly or had something wrong. How would they even tell us that, right? It went out in print. Maybe they could send a letter to the editor. So now we're talking like a week later. Maybe they publish the letter, maybe they don't. But here, you know, the second we hit publish, someone was on Twitter either telling us we're wonderful or telling us that we're idiots. <laughs> and how are you managing that increased interaction or that two-way conversation? What are some of the, the ways that you're incorporating that feedback and really making it a conversation? Well, I mean, you know, part of it is like, okay, what are people interested in? And I don't think we can only do what we think our readers are interested in, that we need to lead them into things that we're interested in, that we think they should be interested in. But it's it's a good way to find out where your readers' um, interests lie, what their pulse is. You know, we get a lot of great feedback on uh, like 36 hours, which is one of our trademark um, columns here. You would think that the more um, exotic and alluring a destination is, the more people would be interested in it. But in fact, you know, some of our the ones that people read the most and comment on the most are kind of closer to home places. You know, Bend, Oregon, people loved our Bend, Oregon, and we got all kinds of great comments from people about it. Um, you know, when we did, I'm trying to think what other cities now in the US, but they get a lot of attention and you sort of think, oh, everyone wants to go somewhere really exotic, but that's not actually the case. And especially in an age of climate change, you know, one of the things we can do is tell people, okay, you don't have to go to Mongolia, even though Mongolia is on our 52 places to go list and I would love to go there and I'm sure a lot of people would, but you know, there's these other really cool places like you know, the number one place on our 50 places list this year, which is Washington, D.C. Uh, thinking back to the, you know, the, you know, environmentally conscious travel, uh, I read that the New York Times implemented um, a policy where you're, you're starting to buy carbon offsets for some of the airplane travel done by staff members on assignment. I'm right. Curious. That's for the travel desk. The, that is not a paper wide policy. Um, okay. That's something we instituted um, last year, kind of in the middle of the year, um, in thinking about, you know, as we became, you know, like everybody else, when I say, you know, in the last year, that consciousness has really changed. It, my consciousness has changed too. Obviously, I knew about climate change. I was concerned about climate change. I saw what was happening in the world, but I think it has really reached a crisis point for people and uh, for us as well. And, you know, we started thinking, okay, what could we do, even that would be small, that would, you know, send a message that this was something we were concerned about and actually do something about it. So we, for all our staff travel on assignment, we are um, buying carbon offsets for people. And for the second half of the year, uh, we bought carbon offsets for Sebastian Modak, who was our 52 places traveler last year. That's great. And how do you think that's, um, or what kind of impacts are you seeing on the, the travel industry as a whole? I just read that Delta is looking to go carbon neutral. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any other shifts uh, in behaviors of some of these companies, corporations. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think right now, every single company, every 
you know, travel brand out there is trying to come up with some way to show that they care and that they believe in sustainability and that they are trying to, um, you know, deal with climate. Uh, some of it is as, you know, getting rid of single-use plastics. That is definitely something that's happening more and more. The big hotel chains are saying, you know, we're going to phase out single-use plastics. We're going to, you know, pumps in the uh, in every uh, bathroom. We are not going to have um, bottled water. Uh, although it's shocking how many hotels you walk into and there's still like two plastic water bottles waiting for you, um, you know, in the hotel room when you could have a nice carafe of water with some glasses. Um, but uh, so everybody is trying to do something. The airlines are certainly trying to position themselves and talk about being carbon neutral. Um, you know, there's questions, and I, I don't want to question people, but there is certainly the issue of greenwashing and whether uh, people are making meaningful commitments to uh, climate change or are trying to find a way to um, give some window dressing that would make them look. Uh, sustainable without doing like the really hard work that people need to do. Right. And thinking about some of that greenwashing, what are the particular metrics that you're using to chart your progress in terms of, you know, buying the offsets and, and being accountable for, you know, environmentally conscious travel? Yeah. I mean, we don't, that, that's a good question. We don't really have a metric. We're, we're a pretty small desk, I'll tell you, you know, and we're not, we don't have that many people flying all the time. We certainly have freelancers who fly and, and we're not buying carbon offsets for them. And, um, but, um, so it's really just, you know, among ourselves, we count what we're doing, but there's no, there's not like a hard metric and that's probably a flaw. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate the, the effort that's going into that. And I think it's, it's a definitely a right, you know, a step in the right direction. So, right. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's something we're trying, you know, we're, we want to send that message that we do care, that we do think about it, and then also try and do something, you know, at least to help offset. And, you know, switching gears for a moment, we're seeing, uh, the rise of kind of platforms, you know, Google and, and Uber and Airbnb are, are trying to be these one-stop shops for travel and transportation booking. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what that means for the, you know, the trip advisors of the world. Yeah, you know, I think, well, it's interesting how much is changing online now and booking. I mean, certainly like the hotels, I think like the trip advisors and then like Expedia and Travelocity in those places, all those are kind of under assault from every direction um, because like the hotels and the airlines are really trying to get you to go back and book with them directly. And there's been a, a kind of a push. I don't know how much you paid attention to this, but the idea that like if you have a problem, you are much better off having booked directly with your hotel or with your um, airline because you can go to them for redress. Whereas if you have, if you booked it through a third party, you have to go to the third party first. Um, so, and, you know, uh, hotels fighting back with like best rates if you uh, book on their sites. So I do think those sites are um, caught in the middle here. And Google, of course, would like to do everything for you. Um, you know, like if you search on anything, suddenly you get some way to do their transaction um, within their, their universe. Um, you know, TripAdvisor, 
I think, and Yelp, I think have a problem in that um, people don't trust them um, as much as uh, they would like them to because the results often seem so skewed and you don't, and random, you know, if you look at what the top restaurants in New York are on TripAdvisor, they are not the top restaurants that New Yorkers go to. You guys are up in Boston, right? I'm sure the same thing is true up there. Um, yep. And so, um, you know, I think they would need to find a, a reason for people to really, you know, believe them and believe that they are delivering some kind of real insight into quality. Um, and I think that's a, a big issue. And I guess on the, the flip side of that, we, we're seeing that full service travel is, is kind of back and, you know, millennials might be driving this trend and it, they, they are becoming, you know, a little tired of DIY travel. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seeing that same trend and, and how is it playing out for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think the travel advisor has made a comeback. Um, you know, most of their services are free, so you're not losing anything by booking with a travel advisor now. Um, and people feel, again, like I think it's that expertise and insight thing. That, like if you go on travel, uh, you know, on um, TripAdvisor, Trip like do you trust the opinion that you're getting? And I think increasingly people feel that they don't. Um, and I don't mean to gang up on them. I think it's true on Yelp or any other review sites because people feel that they can be gamed so easily. Um, and even if they're not gamed, that they're fairly random. So why not have somebody who really is an expert help you out? Now, of course, how do you identify that person? How do you know that you're really going to get good service? That's always, that's the other question. Like, how do you pick the person who is going to be your expert? Um, and then, um, you know, I think as people travel more too, and they travel further flung, you know, it's one thing to plan your vacation, even to, you know, to Europe, I think if you're going to France, it's fairly easy to kind of think about what your itinerary would be and book your hotels and things like that. But if you're going farther, if you're going, you know, right now people are not so much going to Asia, but say you're going to Japan, um, it's a little harder and you might want to have help and feel like somebody who really knows what they're talking about is telling you how to navigate these places. And, you know, people do a tremendous amount of research before they travel. I mean, I think there's something like, I forget the exact data, but I think it's something like 30 hours of research before you actually book a vacation. Wow. So uh, how do you see, you know, the the role of a full service travel agent? How has it evolved over over the you know last 20 or 30 years from where it was to where it is now? Yeah, well, I mean, I, well, I think one thing is that, um, you know, now they're not charging you a commission. Um, they are getting a commission on the other end. Um, so like there's no fee for, in most cases, there's no fee to you, the traveler. So there's very little risk to you, the traveler, other than that they won't do a good job. Um, there are also these networks now um, of travel advisors, and they call themselves travel advisors instead of travel agents. Um, you know, and like Virtuoso is one of the biggest, and they have, a, you know, a combined buying power 
um, so that they can get you deals. And that's one of the things that they will um, tell you on that, you know, if you book through them, uh, you can get, say, an upgrade on your hotel room that you wouldn't get if you booked on your own because they have the buying power and the clout with the hotels to get that. Um, I mean, I think if you were doing, you know, if you're planning on going someplace and staying, you know, you're a Marriott Bonvoy member and you're going to stay in a Marriott, I don't think anybody really needs a travel agent to do that. And plenty of people do that. But I think it's when you're looking for that more um, bespoke uh, indie uh, quality to your trip that people are using them. And I mean, I guess that goes into my next point where it's this this rise of experiential travel and mm-hmm. how, you know, consumers are shifting away from your cookie cutter approach and, and looking for more bespoke experiences, more Instagram worthy trips. Um, what are the trends you're seeing there? Well, I mean, you know, I think that's continues to be really strong. I think people, there's this real, a little bit of one up, upmanship. And we actually just did a piece about like, the most, the wildest hotel rooms you can stay in. And they were like these glass pods hanging from the side of a cliff in Peru and, you know, glass bubbles you can stay in, in, a, in Africa. So you can watch the, the elephants walk by you at night, that kind of thing. Um, and I think people really want to have that ability to say, you won't believe what I did. You know, like something that they want to do something that their friends have not done, that they can show their pictures, <laughs> they can post them on Instagram and say, you know, look at this, I did this and no one else has had this experience. So I think people really are searching for that and want that. And, um, you know, and the industry is trying to deliver that as well, obviously. And on the flip side of that, um, we've been, you know, hearing the term leisure uh, a bit lately. Are you are you seeing any trends? I'm I'm not a big fan of the term, you know, but that that blended business and leisure right. travel and, right. and the combination of you know work trips extending into long weekends and and how you kind of capture some of that time while you're on a business trip. Right. Uh, are you are you seeing anything in that space? You know, we really are focused on the leisure traveler. We don't do we don't really look at business travel that much, so I don't know much in that in that realm. Okay. Uh, and is is there anything within leisure travel uh, that you're seeing with integrated wellness? And and we're noticing that, uh, you know, there's yoga rooms and airports and Peloton bikes at Marriott hotels. Right. Right. No. And, you know, um, Hilton is just launching this new brand called Tempo, which is all about like continuing your wellness when you're on the road and the rooms are going to have like a kind of a what they're calling a get ready space so that if you like wanted to bring your yoga mat and do yoga in your room before you went out, um, you would have space to do that. Um, so I think that the, the whole health wellness thing continues to be big, although, you know, it, it's kind of funny because it was really, really enormous. And then um, climate change kind of took up a lot of the mental space and space in the conversation. So I think people are talking a little bit less about wellness now, um, but I, it's still there. Um, you know, and then I think one of the things is this idea of kind of, you can have a wellness retreat even in the city. Um, you know, Amman is gonna be opening 
in New York this year, and that's going to be a big, and their whole aesthetic is, is so like retreat and Zen and, you know, mindfulness. Um, and, but, and yet they're going to be in Manhattan. So I think that trend, and I think that kind of urban retreat idea will continue to grow. Interesting. Within the you know traditional hotel chains, uh, you you talked a little bit about you know launching of new brands and, and innovations happening there. Are there any other big disruptions you're seeing uh, when it comes to uh, established hotel groups? I mean, I think the biggest thing with the uh, the established hotel groups is the the points and loyalty, and that what they really want to do is you know get you and make sure that every trip you take is going to be in one of their brands. Um, so they'll have, you know, Marriott will have different brands at different levels, depending on what your trip is. Same with Hilton, IHG, all of them have this pretty wide array so that like if you're a business traveler uh, during the week, you will go to one of their brands, you'll get your loyalty points, then you'll use those loyalty points to go on vacation with your family and you'll go to one of their hotels. Um, so it's kind of really trying to keep you through your life cycle as a traveler, um, you know, and loyalty points. I certainly use points myself um, and they can be great, um, but they're also, you know, obviously they're used as a benefit to the, the companies to try and keep you within their fold. And I think that's, you know, and the whole use of like being able to use your loyalty points. I mean, I think Marriott has really been kind of the leader here with Bonvoy and being able to use your loyalty points for experiences, not just hotel rooms, I think will be a growing trend. And have you heard any pushback or, or commentary from your readers about, uh, you know, some of these points programs and, and the way that, uh, you know, you earn and, and use some of these points? Because I've, I've read a lot of frustrations, um, you know, particularly in the Bonvoy category, mm-hmm. uh, when, mm-hmm. you know, SPG was rolled into that program. Uh, right. Just, I was, I'm wondering if you've heard anything from your readers. You know, the, like the, the, the combination of uh, Marriott and um, SPG certainly did not go well. Uh, Starward, it seems like that has calmed down. Uh, the major thing we hear about points now is um, from the airlines and that the airlines have made it harder to um, get uh, things with with airline points. And, you know, there's been a big shift there, too, um, in that the airlines used to reward you uh, based mostly on miles flown. Uh, didn't matter how much you paid for ticket. But that big change has become they're uh, rewarding you more on the cost of your ticket rather than on your miles, your actual miles. Um, so, you know, I think people's frustration really is with the airlines and how you can use your uh, your airline miles to actually fly. And thinking about some of those, there's airlines uh, within the the realm of, you know, this airport experience. Uh, you know, something that's that's been kind of rising up feels like you know this balance between uh, privacy and convenience when moving through airport security uh-huh, or, or just uh-huh. getting to your flight. Right. Uh, have you come across that? And are do you have any thoughts on um, traveler privacy? Well, I mean, you know, with facial recognition, it's all, I think it's a trade-off, right? Like in order to, people have been willing to trade their data for an ability to get on the plane easier. Um, 
whether there's a backlash to that, I, you know, it's a little hard to know how much there's an actual backlash in people kind of opting out of programs or anything like that. I mean, I guess if you had, you know, clear, would you give it up and go back to the <laughs> the line? I don't know. Um, but I think it's definitely, it's a thing people are thinking about and they're thinking about as they are, you know, across everything, Facebook, um, everywhere, you know, what am I giving up for what I'm getting? And is that trade-off worth it? And it, you know, what we've seen is uh, a little bit of outsourcing of that privacy liability through programs like Clear. So yep. uh, some airlines are are hesitant to take on that liability and, and own that traveler data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're we're seeing that as as really interesting. You know, one other thing that we're seeing in airports is is this mollification that's happening. So airports mm-hmm. as destinations and and not just kind of uh, inbound and outbound hubs. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did a piece about someone spending their weekend in Changi in um, Singapore um, because there's so much to do there. I actually have not been in that airport, but it's just unbelievable. And the photographs were unbelievable and people rave about it all the time. Um, I mean, and yet I've been in so many grim airports, including right here in New York. Um, <laughs> they're really grim. Um, so, you know, I think how many airports are actually going to be destinations? Not that many. Although I have to say, like I went out uh, to, I had a flight to, uh, from Kennedy and I went out a little early and I went and had a drink at the TWA hotel. Check that out. It's a great, you know, design destination. Um, So if there's actually something to do at a hotel that would be interesting, um, it's possible that people would go out. I mean, I think a big part of it is just trying to, people are so captive at, at, um, at airports and trying to give them something to do. We actually did a piece a little while ago, kind of like the best airports to get stuck in, you know, places that had gyms. Like I would love it if more airports had gyms and you could go work out if you had a, um, a layover and maybe they would rent you, you know, workout clothes and some sneakers. Um, right or movie theaters in in uh, in airports, a fabulous. Yeah, idea. I'm always on the lookout for a, a good gym at an airport because it helps you know normalize your travel a little bit more. I think uh, is it Atlanta that has a you know a great Westin with a, a nice gym in the in the airport. I think so. Yeah, and then um, I was trying. There's another one that now I'm going to space on that has pretty good facilities, but it's like you always, if if there were something to do other than like sit there and eat bad food, I would be, you know, and actually, and I'll say also that, you know, obviously the food has gotten much better. Um, I know Denver has some good food. Um, San Francisco now has terrific food at the airport. So I think that's definitely a plus. And the more we see of that, the happier I'll be. Excellent. Um, The I think the last question before we we start to wrap up is um, just this idea of income inequality and and how the experience has has changed and it's it's really kind of widened you know from your your Spirit Airlines to um, some of the the Middle Eastern airlines and some of the experiences you can get on a plane. Um, any thoughts about you know that widening gap between those those two different types of experiences? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's pretty crazy. Like on you know Emirates and stuff like that, they basically have an apartment 
course, you know, if you're thinking about climate change, if you're flying in that space, you're really burning up the carbon. So, you know, your impact is much heavier. So that's a thing to think about um, for all of us. Um, you know, and then obviously economy has become such a cattle car. And then the idea that every single thing that you're, I mean, I think that's what, what people really hate about the airlines right now um, is this idea that every single thing that would make the experience in any way human, you now have to pay for it, right? So like any extra little bit of space you have to pay for. Um, any, uh, you know, if you want a blanket, uh, you have to pay for that. If you want um, a snack on many airlines, you know, a Norwegian. Now people love Norwegian because the seat is actually not that cramped. It's a little better for an economy size seat and especially going long haul. But every single thing you have to pay for. They have the auctions if you want to try and upgrade. Um, so that feeling of totally being charged that the meter is always running, baggage fees, I think that really makes people crazy. Um, and I think um, that feeling of always getting ripped off for those of us who fly economy does like create a certain level of rage on airplanes um, that I think is even worse than it's ever been. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, do you do you see any um, airlines bucking that trend, or, or is everybody moving in the same direction? Uh, I have to say, I don't. I don't see anybody really bucking that trend. It seems like you know they're just you know whatever they can charge you a fee for, they will charge you a fee for. Um, so unfortunately, I, I don't see it changing. I mean, maybe now, you know, there was this whole brouhaha the other day about the reclining seat or not reclining seat, it went very viral, and yep. the people on the plane having a fight about it. And, you know, there was a certain amount of chatter uh, around that saying, you know, neither of those people is particularly well behaved, perhaps, but the real culprit here is the airlines that have, you know, so minimized the amount of space we each get that they've created this um, conflict. Um, and that maybe that's what we should be looking at and reframe the conversation about, okay, how much space do people really need? And how much can you cut down on space before people become, you know, surly and uh, impolite with each other because they're just annoyed the whole time? Great. Uh, and last question, it seems like the internet is, you know, really split on this one. Are you in favor of reclining or are you in favor of, of having your, your seat upright for the whole flight? I like to recline. Uh, I understand that if it's really, really crowded and there's a problem, um, that the person behind you may be upset. Um, but I would advocate not punching the back of the seat. I would advocate maybe tapping the person on the shoulder. I mean, I think like so much of this is if we just deal with each other as human beings um, and say, okay, if I were in this situation, how would I like to be spoken to? And then, you know, act that way. If you tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, your seat is really right in my face. Would you mind sitting up a little? I might not, you know, pull out my camera and start filming you and saying, what a jerk you are. Right. And is there a law of the land as far as who gets the armrests? <laughs> um, hmm. I'm not sure. I think that's a, you know, whoever gets there first, sadly. 
<laughs> All right, great. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and it's been uh, it's been a really interesting thirty minutes. So thank oh, you. Good. Great. It was nice to talk to you, and uh, thank you for inviting me on. EPAM Continuum integrates business, design, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. Thanks to Amy Vership and Dustin Boutet for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Numerous appreciations to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all of his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Pete Chapin. I always recline my airplane seat. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.